also a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Preston. And I'm Katie. <laughs> Welcome to the Holy, Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. We're changing gears. Yeah, we've spent, what is it, seven, seven episodes? episodes? Seven episodes on our mini-series looking at specific different religious traditions. And now we want to get back into that frame that we were in before where we actually talk about things with more of a personal interpretation and academic leaning rather than just historical sociological stuff. But we'll see right away with my opening point why it's why we did what we did because now we're going to be talking in comparisons to religions and you guys will at least know what we're talking about. So that's cool. I mean, we'll know what we're talking about too because some of that was a big refresher for both of us, I think. A lot of these things I haven't studied in years. So it's nice to get back into it and keep it fresh for sure. Today we are talking about the concept of belief. And I've been excited about this episode from our planning days of the it's, podcast. It's so big and nebulous. It is. And my belief on belief has actually changed and my belief is kind of nebulous personally. Wait a minute. You changed your opinions based on new information? I did. Oh, no. Um, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, so strap yourselves in because this is another episode without any real answer. And we're just going to talk about <laughs> the topic of belief for an hour. And I would love to hear your thoughts on belief if you want to drop us a line on social media or on our Discord. Because, yeah. This is one area that I'm still really unsure of. It's tricky. And I don't think it'll ever stop being tricky. Yeah. I wanted to start off with the question of what do you think of these religions now that we've talked about them all? Um, <laughs> That's a huge nebulous if, question. I, know. Um, I will answer it. In the way I am thinking okay. to help guide your answer. That would be helpful. Um, and this happened to me when I was in taking religious studies in school. Is when we were all done the year, I kind of sat back and said, they're all the same. We're all the same. There's a lot of similarities between um, them. Kind of, I looked at all these religions and went, they're very much different methods to the same purpose and when i say different methods there's a ton of overlap it was really kind of like pick and i have an ice cream analogy maybe the ice cream analogy will come up today it's pick whatever flavor of ice cream you like at the end of the day it's still an ice cream dessert at first glance we look at hinduism and christianity as, as two very opposite religions but you know hinduism's polytheistic or pantheistic whatever pick your poison and Christianity is monotheistic and one and Hinduism has reincarnation and uh, Christianity has this concept of heaven but all of a sudden when you do some digging there's these parallels in Hinduism everything is Brahman is that not monotheism and then in Christianity we have the very convoluted trinity is that not polytheism in Hinduism we have moksha is that not heaven doesn't God promise us rebirth in heaven? Is that not reincarnation? 
all of a sudden these things don't look so different once you have a not even a very deep understanding just a basic understanding of of the beliefs and in history so what do you think so covered them all <laughs> that big question that's my answer to that big big question surface level they have a lot more similarities than differences for sure and then there's the nitty-gritty differences like the difference between resurrection and reincarnation right. for example surface level they're basically the same thing yeah. resurrection is being made to stand again is literally the formation of the word and that is to be put into a body again that's exactly what reincarnation is is to be covered in flesh again <laughs> so minor linguistic differences that carry less theological difference than li than literal semantic semantic stuff. difference yeah. and yet the the baggage that they carry is different <laughs> connotation right yeah. yeah but ultimately the idea that when you die you will continue on is almost universal for all of the religions that i'm aware of not just limiting it to the ones that uh, we've already discussed yeah and then there's of course this idea that if you're a good neighbor your life after this one is going to be better than the alternative yeah the biggest difference between all of the religions on a day-to-day -day, how you live your life kind of perspective is definitely what does that mean? What are the rules to being a good neighbor, to being a good part of the community, to being part of the holy community? What, is, what does that mean? And that's where you have a lot of differences. I mean, I would even argue that there aren't a ton of differences. I mean, mostly I mean, they, don't well, stab, don't, don't rape your daughter's don't be a dick, wife or his daughter. And it comes down to we've... <laughs> And don't be a dick if you <laughs> um, I think I've I've said that phrase in almost, almost every episode. That uh, you know what, that might be a t-shirt thing we have to do at some point. It's I, just don't a be a big dick. Old wiener <laughs> but there's also, of course, extra rules. Yeah, I think um like don't eat cows, yeah, don't eat pigs. It's the minutiae that changes and as an atheist right as an outsider to all of these i kind of look at those as the things to eliminate right like if everyone if anything is, is to be eliminated you, yeah don't be a dick then that's probably pretty important if one is telling you not to eat a pig and one's telling you not to have sex before a paper is signed and one is telling you to cover your head i would say that these are the the little differences so that you have some sort of community identity absolutely but, but um, the in the hebrew scripture it's said in a few different places that some of the rules are given to israel just to make them different from their neighbors so is that the wieners <laughs> that is. is that's actually part of it yeah it is uh, <laughs> that is part of that umbrella group of rules yeah so i yeah i think that at the end of the day if i mean this is the atheist for me at the end of the day i kind of go if it's all the same then none of it matters <laughs> it's just terrible right as long as you follow the don't be a dick then 
and whatever comfort you need to pass from this life is kind of up to you. What's interesting, though, is that even though all of these religions say, be good neighbors, don't be dicks, almost every one of these religions has a huge population that uses (laughs) their difference from their neighbors as reasons to be dicks. I mean, that's just people, right? At the end of the day. People suck. Yeah. You'll never get any perfect population group, whether that's race, religion, nationality. There's always going to be a dick in there. (laughs) Um, And well, you know, I am not so blind to think that all atheists are perfect. There's a lot of terrible people who are atheists. And well, you know, when we do our atheist agnostic episode, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I think it's just people and anything to the extreme is bad. Absolutely. And I mean, even how do you, you know, sometimes it's just societal prejudices that we identify someone by their race or religion with the bad thing they did. Which is nonsense. Yeah. Right. We'll identify someone as whatever. I don't want to say It's like people being Um, mad at the Jews because they killed Jesus. Okay. Not all the Jews killed Jesus. Well, first most important point, according to Christian literature, he died voluntarily on a cross upon which he was put by Romans. (laughs) So we got a problem there already. And and again, obviously, not all Romans, not all Jews, not whatever, Yeah. yeah. But we've attached that to, in this case, Christ's crucifixion. Because people like to Um, find a reason, however spurious or nonsensical, to be hateful. We see this in our news all the time. They'll say, so immigrant. I'm just going to say generic and immigrant because I don't obviously don't want to single anyone out specifically. They'll say immigrant committed a crime. It's like, it doesn't matter there's Canadians that are bad people. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yep. Anyway, do you? Let's. I. We're. This is going to be a fairly conversational episode, but I did want to touch on the definition of faith because it's a nebulous definition, and it will kind play, of. I mean, did you read my example? I did. Okay, and it will. I mean, I'll play a role in what, how we talk about belief. Mm-hmm, for wanna, sure. Tackle that. I see you added some stuff. Yeah, so I want you to start with what you wrote, and then I'll take care of what I wrote. Do you want my conversation? Do I want your conversation? I wrote out this example of a conversation I heard. Sure, why not? So the reason I wanted to (laughs) uh, define faith is because I was listening to an atheist call-in show, and the, the, the atheist... And the person calling in, who was some Christian pastor, priest, clergy person, obviously had different definitions of faith. So the atheist hosting the show said, because you believe the Bible is 100% true, you don't have faith in God. Faith being, um, in this case, believing something that there's no proof of. And the, the religious person came back and said, no, I have faith because I know the Bible is true. And they basically went back and forth on this <laughs> until one of them hung up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, it was. but if you know it's true, then you don't need faith. So I 
while there are several definitions of faith, I just want to make sure we and our audience listeners are on the same page for the purposes of this episode. All right. Yeah, I like that. So there's some dictionary definitions that I think are pretty helpful. Go oh, for right. it. So I pulled up two. One's from Britannica and one's from Wikipedia. Britannica said faith. Uh, faith is inner attitude, conviction, or trust relating to human beings, relating human beings to a supreme God or ultimate salvation. And Wikipedia had as faith, uh, derived from Latin, uh, is confidence or trust in a person, thing, or concept in the context of religion. One can define faith as belief in a God or in the doctrines of teaching of religion. Uh, and then it actually clarifies religious people often think of faith as confidence based on perceived degree of warrant, while others who are more skeptical, like myself, of religion tend to think is faith as simply believing without evidence, as I mentioned in my example. Yeah, faith is, is a separate chunk for later. Yeah, faith is kind of a, a tricky thing. A job I had years ago was working as a translator, translating uh, ancient Greek to English, and specifically to modern English, not to m- weird 300 years ago English. And <laughs> Was Jesus on fleek? The, that phrase simply wouldn't have come up in the New Testament, oh, okay. unfortunately. Right. <laughs> as great trans- as that could have been. Probably translating it wrong. Maybe, who okay. knows. <laughs> I definitely didn't have a formal training in the language. I learned it on the job, which was a really oh, fun way to learn the language. Uh, I've since studied the language properly at a university setting, and that's actually helped out a little bit. But the word that we always translate to as faith and why faith is its own word in the English language is a deliberate attempt to replace the word trust because of the new context of religious writings. But the word that's always been translated as faith in the Bibles that we're familiar with, would it would be more truthful to use the word trust. Interesting. And so when I talk to people, even in church environments, I will avoid using the word faith as much as possible so that people don't misunderstand me when I speak because I do know that, like because we've already shown out, some truth. people define the word differently than others. Yeah. Which is frustrating. Can I ask what you would say if giving a testimony? Almost always I I say trust. I use the word trust instead of faith as much as possible. And I believe that if if you can't replace the word faith with trust in your sentence, you're using the word wrong. I can't think of an example where that wouldn't be the case. (laughs) In a religious context. I don't know when I would use it. In any yeah, context. I, so, yeah. I have faith this bungee cord will hold. Yeah, you I trust, trust that, that it will hold. will hold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's also, it has other effects on the way that I talk to people about faith as well. Like if you say that I believe in God, nobody ever says, well, okay, not nobody. Very few people, when they say I believe in God, mean that they believe there is a God. I believe in God means I trust God, which already has the prerequisite of believing he exists. Exists. And you've got other people who 
believe that there is a God and don't trust him. Right. There are absolute, there are we had this conversation countless before. thousands of people who yeah. believe in the existence of gods in whom they place no trust. Mm-hmm. I think a really easy to grasp example would be those people who follow the faith of Odin and recognize Loki as a god, but because he's a trickster, trusting him is nonsense. <laughs> That's an example that comes to mind. I know, I'm just thinking of... You've also got a handful of people who believe in the God of Abraham, mm-hmm. of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. that They believe he exists, but don't trust him for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because they believe there's a creator of the world, but hate that there's disease, or hate that people have free will to do things and not be smitten immediately. Um, <laughs> it's a weird triangle of words, belief. It is. Believe trust and faith because I I wouldn't fault someone for saying they had faith in Loki or God and then not trust them. It seems tricky it's, to it, me, no, but I'll it's follow very, you. It's like very, <laughs> like it's semant- we're getting into semantics here. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a weird triad of words that get people into a lot of trouble. So, um, how do we want to define it for this episode? Or are we just going to avoid the word faith altogether? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's super helpful to avoid the word when we're deliberately approaching the word in an academic way. But I don't know how to fix it beyond the definition of a simple trust. All right. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so if you have faith, you believe God exists. Um, and most people who have these faiths in the gods of whatever their religion is, there's a, another trust that has taken its position first. For example, most people receive their religious education from a parent which requires trust mm-hmm. and, and a faith in that parent that they're not going to lead you astray. And that trust is built on previous experience with them. And then they are willing to accept what they're teaching. And then usually if you stick to that faith, you have come to trust that this faith hasn't led you into danger or something yeah, along those lines. as per my example of if you believe it to be 100% true, then you don't need faith or faith without proof. Someone with faith would have their proof, whatever that is. So, right? Even if I don't <laughs> consider it proof, and we're going to get into epistemology in a minute, they would have their proof to trust that God exists. So another problem I've already come up against uh, is the word proof. Okay. <laughs> There, you can have all kinds of evidence. Evidence can take all kinds of forms. And evidence is is like a, a witness, something that offers testimony. I have a hard time thinking of proof as a real obtainable thing in any field other than mathematics. <laughs> like, you can always prove that 2 plus 2 is 4. Sometimes you can prove that 2 plus 2 is not. It takes some ridiculous mathematical gymnastics. But it's easy to prove reliably, consistently, 
2 plus 2 is 4. And there are also logical formulas that look an awful lot like math that can give you what we call proofs. And anybody who's done enough logical computations can also see that there can be flaws in math, in logical computations mm -hmm. to give false Pedmas. proofs. Pedmas is actually... It's only problematic because not everybody agrees to do it. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, I when I was learning PEDMAS, I was like, this is dumb. Why would anyone forget this? And now at 30, I see equations, and I'm like, what's PEDMAS? <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. Math is tricky, yep. and it's, it's its own thing. And as far as I can stretch my mind right now based on things that are coming to mind, that's the only field in which I accept the existence of actual proof. <laughs> the problem with science. Most of the sciences are either evidence-based or just math-based, mm -hmm. so. Fair. <laughs> this is. And, and I do have to distinguish between those two things. Fair. This is a good segue into epistemology. Which is a really... It's not really for us. It's super tricky. I took a class on epistemology in the university, and I enjoyed it, though it was frustrating. It was... I thought it It's was a question that be... still doesn't have much of an answer. I thought it was going to be really easy <laughs> when I wrote my stuff on epistemology. It is not. Um, but basically... <laughs> Like, really basically, because I can barely understand it. It's how we, it's a part of philosophy, and we're not philosophers. Maybe one day we'll find a philosopher to help us with epistemology. Eh, um, I might be a philosopher. It depends who you ask. Actually, you're not I, an I keep interrupting. Philosopher. I, I, there's a philosophical position <laughs> that I have heard that dictates that if you have an opinion on philosophy, you are a philosopher. Interesting. So, according to those who adhere to that principle, well, I'm a philosopher you're a now. philosopher. Cool, because I'm about to have an opinion on this. <laughs> um, put really simply, epistemology is how do we consider something a piece of knowledge or how do we know if we're knowledgeable about something? So, it deals with knowledge and how we absorb information and it's one of those things that I don't think people realize other people think differently there are a few memes that have like gone around where apparently a portion of the population thinks in pictures and a portion of the population thinks in words and we don't realize the other exists and it's just like mind-blowing so it's things like that where or even if you're like an auditory or visual or kinesthetic learner, like these little things on how we absorb information. I need to know, are you a picture or word brain person? I don't think I'm just one or the other. Interesting. Wow. That blows my mind because <laughs> I know exactly what I am. Yeah? Uh-huh. Are you a word person? I'm 100% a word person. Okay. I constantly have like a monologue in my head. Of words. And I mean, I can, like, picture things. Yeah. I mean, for my job, but, like... One would hope. <laughs> but even... 
I start everything with a word map, like I sent you for the podcast. Right. Everything starts with words. Yeah. Yeah. I think See, through conversations, like everything in my brain is words. That that makes sense. For me, it's it's a little frustrating that I'm I feel like I'm both that I I think in pictures I wouldn't say a majority of the time, but often enough and it's tricky sometimes to convert those into words that I can relay to another oh, person okay. and have them understand mm-hmm. what that image is supposed to be. Mm. And it'd be a lot easier if I could draw properly. <laughs> <laughs> I used to draw a lot when I was a kid, a lot. And then I kind of stopped when I was in junior high, I think. not cool anymore. That probably was a big part of it, actually, that drawing was very appealing to the girls when I was in elementary school. And then that it didn't get me any attention at all in junior high. And that I think that helped shift my medium of communication. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that's affected the way I think is a question for people with greater education than mine in that field. All right. <laughs> As I was saying, epistemology is how we take these pieces of information process it and stick it into our brain file the big question is how do we justify knowledge and belief so epistemology deals with memory perception reason and testimony and this is how we decide if something is valid i wrote out an example that made sense in my brain But the example I wrote is, how do you know if someone is good at their job using those four things? So memory, maybe you remember them doing something similar before. And ergo, you can extrapolate and think they'll be good at this as well. Number two for perception. Lots of people say perception is reality, and I don't disagree with that. So maybe they appear to be successful. Maybe they're well-dressed or wealthy. So ergo... If they look successful, they're probably successful at their job. Not necessarily true, but people make that assumption all the time. Mm -hmm. Reason, I would say they put this under concrete evidence. So they might have good sales numbers, good conversion numbers, ROI, all these business terms that, you know, actual tangible numbers that we can reason to believe that they are good at their job. And number four, testimony is someone has told you that they're good at their job. And that's why... As business owner and podcast hosts, testimonials and reviews are important. Um, it's huge so that people know that we're doing a job before they listen. And testimony is super tricky because that kind of loops back on, well, actually, they all do, but testimony in a more obvious way than the others relies on trust. Yeah. I, doing this research, I think the two biggest ones, and I might have even made notes on this, the two biggest ones I think religion leans on is testimony and perception. Absolutely. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, I'm sure, but that's because you can warp perception. You can. You absolutely can warp perception. And I have a note. Um, I was reading... A fantastic book. It's a it's long. It's a bit of a slog, but it's a good book called When God Talks Back by Tanya Lerman. And it's about evangelicalism in America. And this is sort of the, the perception piece that she talks about that evangelical Christians 
train their brains to see God in everything. And this is her prayer and community and all the pieces of that. And, and believing that God, you have a personal relationship with God. And therefore they can make it more real than someone like me who I'm not looking for God in everything. So I don't see God in anything. Don't believe in God. Keeps it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that? I had a bit of a thing and then I lost it. Oh, no. <laughs> so epistemology asks questions like, what is knowledge? And we looked at some categories on how we can kind of explain that. How is knowledge acquired is super tricky. <laughs> that if you look at a thing, like I look at red socks, I know those socks are red, but that's that doesn't translate well to more complex ideas, <laughs> you know? No, and I was having this conversation with a friend, and we'll get into whether belief is a choice or not. And she said, you can choose to believe something else. And I said, I can't look at this guy and choose to believe it's green. I can pretend. Mm-hmm. And so when you say red socks, and you go, I know they're red, but you could arguably choose to believe that they're not red. Mm-hmm. Well, you could theoretically convince yourself that something is wrong with your eyes that you perceive colors in the color wheel inverse from reality or that it's a different red is the wrong name for that color or yeah it's (laughs) this is a slippery slope (laughs) it's tricky it is and unfortunately so is this entire topic (laughs) and The ultimate question of epistemology is, can we have knowledge? Can you really know anything? (laughs) That really hurt my head. There's loads of people that say, of course I can know things. I know those socks are red. I know this carpet is softer than concrete. But, I mean, ultimately that comes down to perception and for the vast majority of philosophers, including you and me, perception is reality. Yeah. <laughs> I. But what if it's not? <laughs> then we're in the matrix. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and things are going to get weird. I. Oh, that's a hard question to answer. I think it's right. a difficult question because things change so fast. Mm hmm. Well, and you can be 100% sure of a thing and then find out that's not the case. In fact, an example that I had in my epistemology class was the idea of you're driving down the road one morning and you look at the the hill that's rising up on the south side of the road and in the distance you see sheep and... You say out loud, I see sheep. And the kid in the seat next to you is like, are those sheep? And kind of your default answer is, yeah, I know those are sheep because I can see them. And the road winds a little bit and you get closer and, uh uh-oh, you found out that they were actually llamas just kind of curled up. And then all of a sudden your knowledge that you were so sure of before is no longer justified. And but you were so sure that you saw sheep on that hill. And the road winds a little bit more and you get a little closer. And behind, for some 
statistically improbable reason, <laughs> behind each of these llamas is a sheep. And so you were correct that there are sheep on the hill. But did you actually ever know that there were sheep on the hill? And then, Can you predict in the future that you're not going to find more contrary evidence? Inside the sheep is a llama. <laughs> They're all llamas in sheep costumes. <laughs> Can you, know, you know anything? You know. No, I don't know. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think we can know some things, but probably a lot less than we think we know. It gets tricky. The, the real question for every little piece of knowledge that you think you have is, do I actually know this? And for an awful lot of people with religious experience, and I'm going to categorize this nice and broadly, every single person has the majority of the world population opposing the justification for their belief. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't matter what group you're in. Yeah. There, there's, else is there is no group that has a majority population on this planet. So everybody has more than half the world saying, no, your belief is not justified for no. their religious beliefs. There's obviously... Most of the world does believe the sky is blue, even if they didn't have a word for it until 400 years ago or a thousand years ago or whatever. Everybody knows the sky is blue most days. <laughs> One note I made a little further up that seemed like a good point to bring up now, and this is just being a good neighbor, don't be a dick, is I think it's important to remember that everyone thinks they're right. Absolutely. It's like you wouldn't hold on to a belief no. if you thought it was wrong. <laughs> but I think people forget that. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks they're right in whatever, as particularly in religious beliefs. I think there's a, other topics um, people are a little more unwilling to learn. But when it comes to religious beliefs and where we go when we die, everyone thinks they're right. Though most are willing to admit ignorance to some degree. But oh, yeah. they, they never say, I think my beliefs are wrong. wrong. Because then they cease to be your beliefs. Right. So I just, you know, if you're if you meet someone who's different than you, just have that compassion for them because you can't hit somebody into believing what you believe. Absolutely, it doesn't not. work. People no. have tried. God, people have tried so, so much, <laughs> but it doesn't work. Remember all those gurus that were martyred in Sikhism mm -hmm. from a month ago? Right, it's. What? There's countless records of Christian martyrs that are reasonably familiar to our audience and countless martyrs of every faith. Mm -hmm. Is Schrodinger's cat like epistemology where you don't know if it's alive or dead? It, it, it fits into epistemology. But not what the concept but is it's, for. It's not why the, the thought experiment exists. I think, but it it fits into epistemology really well. Yeah, when you're talking about sheep or llamas, I was like, alive or dead. <laughs> sheep and llamas are a little more wholesome, though. Well, so the, versus a, a potentially dead cat in a box. I think I might much have more to wholesome. create a llama in a sheep costume graphic. <laughs> now we need one. Okay. <laughs> 
There's there's a, a few more questions that are important to epistemology as well that uh, I do want to hit. Okay. So in a, in following that theme of what is knowledge, how is knowledge acquired, and can we actually really have knowledge, there's some interesting follow-up questions of what do people know? Like you're going to run into people who are 100% convinced of things. They have strong convictions. And you have to wonder, what do they know? What evidence do they have? What experiences have they had that bring them to where they are? It's kind of fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's how I like to apply that question anyway. There's also the question, what are the necessary and sufficient conditions of knowledge? That's a long, really wordy question, but it's how can you say you know anything? And I think that's different <laughs> for everyone. Absolutely. It has to be. I mean, especially in the context of religion and, right, like, in my world, I've seen no proof of God. But obviously, most of the world disagrees with me. Whether. So. Even though they also disagree with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> Yeah, so is that, I don't, want, I don't want to make people sound dumb, but is that bar lower? I think it's just a different bar altogether. It's a different bar altogether. Yeah. It's their experiences bring them there. And I think part of that is the, the, the religiously, what is the question of testimony? Which I think is really fascinating that in the Hebrew Bible, one of the big rules is do not bear false testimony. <laughs> and there's loads of people who will testify of their beliefs when, uh, testify to the truthfulness of their beliefs. But really, a lot of the time, all they have to go on is they trust somebody who said it. Yeah. I mean, especially <laughs> in early religious days, mm -hmm. I think... Another piece is it's actually, and I'm no neuroscientist by any means, but it's actually just how your brain processes information. And I think that's where we see people leaving religion or deconstructing or converting or people who, I mean, I know people who grew up not religious that became religious later in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that it comes down to how we process information because we all get the same information mm -hmm. mostly it kind of mostly kind of <laughs> because perception is a thing right and perception relies a lot more on the filter than the object fair i think fair <laughs> going back a little bit to what you said the, the idea of people changing yeah. the, the way they live because of this idea of reevaluating knowledge. For example, you've got loads of people leaving the Catholic Church in in waves. And it's a lot less to do with, oh, I don't believe in God anymore, and a lot more to do with I don't trust this source of information anymore. Specifically with the way things are happening with the Catholic Church, that a lot of them are moving to other churches. Many are 
giving up on theology altogether yeah. for sure. But a, he, one of the biggest drives on that is definitely losing trust in the people who bring you the information. that message, losing trust in the witnesses. I am just thinking, my perspective is I'm thinking of two friends that I had in university that became Christians later in life. They were not raised religious. And when I see people get the same information, well, it's not like I haven't been to church or heard about Jesus. Right. But something about that stuck with them that didn't stick with me. And we basic, I won't say basically family situations were different, but, you know, we both had, all three of us had non-religious upbringings. So with the same, especially entry level information to get you into church, it's not like they drop the whole Bible on you and say, do you want in? Right. They just give you bits and pieces and then you learn more as you join. So, or as you stay. So that's what I, where I'm coming from with people process the same information differently because it's not like I had less knowledge than them. I've just it's, taken that knowledge and done something different with it. Started a podcast. <laughs> I, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that they perceived something you didn't. Fair. And it's entirely possible that that's not just a filter issue, that they've probably also had other experiences to which you are not privy that have affected that decision. Mm -hmm. My head hurts. <laughs> it's so complicated to, to think about what is knowledge. You have one more question. <laughs> and I, do you want to tackle it? Yeah. The last question on my list of questions of the basics of epistemology is what makes justified beliefs justified? And this is kind of tricky. Isn't that an album by Justin Timberlake <laughs> or Justin Bieber? Who did the justified album? I have I don't the foggiest idea. Okay. I've listened to a lot more Timberlake than I have Bieber, but honestly, that's neither one of them clearly hit high up on my list of listening. Clearly I haven't listened to either enough to know. I know one of them put out a justified album. I, could, I, anyway, I don't even want to guess. So justified beliefs do get a little trickier that what constitutes your, your evaluation of beliefs? Are you strictly limited to laboratory quality testing? Because that doesn't work for a lot. A lot of situations, yeah. Um, you've got... The, the idea of witnesses that most people in their lives will bear true testimony to most of the things that they are sharing, but have also got a history of lying at some point. Mm -hmm. and that complicates things a lot right there. Reason is important to most people to be able to use logic and think through things and understand that A follows through to B in these scenarios. But that even that doesn't work in every scenario. It's not Literally. full it's not foolproof. Literally I was gonna be like, did you enjoy dinner tonight? And, and I can say I did. You can't justify that with reason because it's no. not you cannot statistically prove dinner was good. Right. That's it doesn't work. But you enjoyed it. So that makes it easier to believe me when I say that I also enjoyed it. That is which one? 
testimony that's testimony as testimony and reason yeah perception perception is a huge honestly (laughs) the quality of food is mostly perception yeah absolutely but But you are also relying on me being a true witness of my perception it's so complicated katie someone who (laughs) wouldn't like that dinner at all yeah so then if i hated bell peppers and onions i probably would have not liked it but it also didn't strongly taste of bell peppers and onions, so. <laughs> yeah. So do we know if dinner was good or not? I liked it, and I hope you believe me when I say I liked it. I liked and that's it. basically all we've got. Yep. <laughs> and I think because two people like dinner, if we made it again, others would be willing to try it. I would hope so. But that doesn't make it true. <laughs> no. Which is crazy. It's improbable that you and I are the only people on the planet that would enjoy this meal. But one has to admit that statistically speaking, there is still the possibility. And reason barely factors into this, (laughs) but still kind of does. Epistemology is hard, guys. Yeah, we didn't want to go too deep, but we have gone quite deep. Um, We're not philosophers. Well, we are philosophers, apparently. But we're not very good philosophers. (laughs) Uh, Philosophy as a thing is definitely not monolithic and is huge and complicated. And I love the idea that having an opinion on philosophy makes you you a philosopher. I like that, too. (laughs) You left some notes here. I did. I don't know who Stephen Talbot is. Oh, Yeah. Do, do, do. Yeah, so I went, I, what I actually Googled was epistemological exercises, okay. hoping to come up with something really good. And didn't find what I was looking for at all, <laughs> uh, apart from something that somebody had used in a theology class that I thought might work as an exercise between you and me, but in reality, I don't actually think it would right now. So I've, we're skipping that. So Stephen Talbot had four really interesting points on epistemology that I I cut out some content so it's easier to follow because really long sentences (laughs) may often be the thing that looks like the heart of philosophy is just having long sentences. Long sentences. But you're... You can't communicate so well with long sentences. So I've broken this down into easier bites without we- without rewording him very much, okay. which I I think deserves a little bit of credit. <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> I got you. So point number one, the qualities of our experience and the qualities we find in this world are the same. I like that. Which is broadly true, though we have to admit that insanity and, you know, th- those folks who have completely lost their mind will perceive the world completely different from the rest of us, at least in many cases. And so... True, but within themselves, their experiences would be equal to how they see the world. Yes. Okay. So again... Things get complicated with epistemology. (laughs) But 
Yeah. Our experiences are basically the qualities you find in the world. Absolutely. And we'll see things differently, for yeah. sure. So that's that's point number one. Point number two is amid all of the appearances, we discover each other and the reliable presentation of things by these appearances, we can coordinate our activities and make our livelihoods. That we live in a shared universe. Yes. That we have to perceive most things in the same way. A bookshelf is a bookshelf. Yes. If it's got something other than books on it, maybe it's being used improperly. Maybe it's got another use. It's easy to identify that it is a shelf for its purpose. Yeah. The floor is the floor. The roof is the roof. Unless your house is turned, then you got problems. <laughs> and everybody should recognize that you got problems <laughs> in that scenario. Yeah. And in this shared universe... We can be productive, interact with each other in reasonable ways and make our livelihood. It's complicated, but it's not crazy complicated. Yep. Point number three. It makes no sense to say that the place where the appearances appear is inside our skulls. Things appear right where they are. Now, that's a weird, weird Ooh, turn of phrase. One, yeah. That is to say that the world that you are, are perceiving, that you are acting in, the bench that this laptop is sitting on, is not in my head. That doesn't make sense because I'm touching it with my hand, which is stretched away from my head. We have to recognize that there are people who have really complicated mental illnesses where they can perceive solid physical objects that are not there. Mm -hmm. And though that complicates this point, it's also a, an interesting piece of evidence in favor of the point. That I, I mean, this kind of <laughs> perception is reality. If you think it's there, it's there. For you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, not for everyone. That's, that's the really tricky bit is that there is one reality that is 100% the reality, the real state of things. But there's no person on this planet that you're going to be able to convince that their perception of reality differs from your own which is complicated and frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I could not convince you that I believe that there's no carpet on this floor. And, and if I did manage to convince you that that is my belief, you would have somebody take me away. <laughs> you would ask that I not drive home. <laughs> Isn't that the Empress through clouds? Yes, that's exactly the deal. Yeah. That he managed to find himself in a position where he was convinced that he was wearing clothes when he was not. And he convinced everyone around him to go along with it. But they were just going along oh, with yes, it. Yeah. None of them believed that he was closed. That, yeah. They thought out this whole deal was you embarrassing and it's a lot easier to just go Maybe along. Maybe we should get a new emperor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sanity is... 
a tricky thing. There's a reason it's not a medically approved term, but it is a way that the casual person evaluates other people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the fourth tip or fourth point from Stephen Talbot that I've written down is the familiar world is brought to appearance only by the grace of thinking. That Paige's perception of the world, not terribly important <laughs> to you and me. We want, <laughs> we both want her to think that the world is a hospitable place, but whether she thinks the walls are green is of no importance to us. But she can't see color. She's a duck. <laughs> Fine. She thinks the walls are gray. See, I've always wondered on this, and I think this falls really neatly into epistemology. <laughs> okay. Is how do we know dogs are colorblind? Because they are missing. I forget which one rods or cones. I think it's cones that see color. Rods that see color. I forget which one see color. I, I I realize that there's a biological component. However, what if the structures that are present in dogs' eyes operate slightly differently from sim from apparently similar structures in our own eyes? Preston, please. <laughs> I don't, I've never looked into the science on why we think most animals appear to be colorblind. I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing ideas right here. Like, could be exactly that's how we know. And it's also probably been heavily tested. Yes. <laughs> but you and I, we perceive through a filter of thought mm -hmm. that we have to assume that everything that reacts to its environment is also doing the same thing to some degree or another. Obviously, you and I think a lot more about what's going on around us than butterflies do. They're just like, flower, go. You and me, not so much. <laughs> it's tricky. And I really like that Stephen Talbot has boiled it down to these four interesting points. Yeah. Basically, it's really hard, guys, and we're doing our best. <laughs> People believe things because they perceive a reason to believe them. Oh, that's a perfect segue <laughs> into my next point. And... My opinion has changed vastly on this. And I, to the point where I don't have an opinion, which is not, I don't know if that's <laughs> a great place to be, but is belief a choice? Should I? I have opinions, <laughs> but I want you to keep going with what you got. I don't know anymore. Okay. I used to think that it absolutely was a choice and there are examples that I think it is just a choice and obviously our personal beliefs are coming up a lot in this episode but as an atheist I go well look at the science there's no evidence why would you ignore evidence or even lack of evidence like I'd um, like the lack of God all over plain windshields? Yeah, or, you know, Richard Dawkins always talks about the teacup floating between the moon and Mars or whatever. You can't prove that it's not there. So how do you know it's not? Um, it's it's wildly improbable. Like, how? why would there be a teacup of all things? I mean, and why who would, would have put there, it there be a white-bearded man in the sky? 
Who says he's white? Who says I mean, he's got a beard? I mean, all the pictures show that. It's, um, it's true. The vast majority of pictures have a beard, and the vast majority have him white, <laughs> at least around here anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a great example, I talked about this in one of our very first episodes, is the Ken Ham-Bill Nye debate, mm-hmm. where they're debating evolution. And I've talked about this very moment. At the very, I think it's one of the very last questions the moderator asks, what would change your mind? And Bill Nye says, evidence. So presumably if we've dug up an ark that was 10,000 years old, he'd go, okay. I believe that this happened. And Ken Ham says nothing. So even though we have dinosaurs that have been carbon dated for millions of years and all the set of rock layers, he doesn't believe that the earth is more than 10,000 years old. And I think he's at that point choosing to be ignorant. And that's where my original belief, and still this is where my confusion in my mind comes from, is I think he's absolutely choosing to to ignore facts. I My belief was changed when I read a very good book, and we'll be posting this on our social media as well, called Why I Left Why Stayed by Bart Campolo and his dad, Tony Campolo. So Tony is an evangelical pastor, and his son, Bart, was, and then became a humanist chaplain. So he left the church, and Why I Left Why Stayed is in the title. And they go chapter by chapter alternating, and, and they talk about their journeys. And in one chapter, Bart talks about how it's not a choice because if it were a choice, he would have chosen to stay because he lost his job because he was a pastor. He lost his family because they were all religious and now he wasn't anymore. Um, he lost all his friends and his community because all of a sudden... He's not going he's to not the church anymore. anymore. He said if it was a choice, he would have chosen to stay because it would have been easier. He lost everything and had, I mean... I don't know what kind of education goes into theology, but I imagine it's not particularly transferable. Not so much. Right? <laughs> um, and that really changed my mind on whether it's a choice or not, because I get that. Right? I can understand, even though I'm not a Christian, all of a sudden you lose this entire community. Why, if you could, right, he couldn't even fake it. Right, he... So it's in that regard, I'm like, okay, I guess it's not a choice. And just like I couldn't choose tomorrow to be a Christian. I was like, okay, that really changed my perspective on it. And so, yeah, now I don't know. Uh, Talking around topics. Right. There's, there are things that a person can choose to believe and choose not to believe. If somebody bears witness to a thing that is within the realm of what you've already established to be possibility, it's a lot easier to say, yep, I believe that, mm-hmm. and and just make that choice. You can choose not to believe somebody based on just a lack of previous experience with that person or choose to believe them. You. Th- it's a lot easier to make a choice in that sort of situation. But to choose to believe the sky is orange right now when it's blue, that's not a thing people are doing. It, it doesn't make sense to do that. You can't use reason or justification for that. 
it's tricky. <laughs> and if somebody were to try and convince you that the sky is orange, even if you trusted them and you had a strong pre-existing trust, that trust would dwindle rather than your mind change. change yeah. <laughs> I believe to complicate your absence of a, an answer to the question <laughs> that there are things that you can choose to believe and there are other things that you have perceived sufficient evidence to hold on to that belief or to acquire that belief. The water boiler is leaking. <laughs> you can't deny that. First, you hear the noise of water dripping. You walk down to the basement. Your socks get wet. You've perceived water. You are you just you realize there's a problem. Yeah. You're gonna have to evaluate what you see when you try to track down the source of this water, and when you see that oh, all the water is coming out of the boiler. You can't choose not to believe the water is coming out of the boiler and still be sane. But I, I want an example of something you can choose to believe. Like, that's almost harder for me. Like Fair enough. I think that often enough, that is the case with religious belief. I, that With any belief. Right? Yeah. I didn't choose to think my dog was cute. It just happened. It just happened. <laughs> You saw the dog and go, yep, that's cute. You had some sort of pre-existing, or not pre-existing, you had experience leading up to this point that led you to have a favorable perception of this appearance. <laughs> but, and that's why I mean, that's why I struggle with, is it a choice? Because I'm not just, I can't just choose to think she's not cute. And that's like, that's not even existential, right? I can, I'm literally holding her right now. Um, right. As opposed to like, does God exist? Like this big concept that we can't see, but I can't turn off my feelings for my dog. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I couldn't choose to not be your, well, I guess I, it would be a lie though. Like I could be like, we're not speaking anymore, but it wouldn't be an honest decision. Right. So it's really hard for me to Again, unless you're like Ken Ham, and where it's like, here's all this evidence, and you go, no, that's fine. But that goes back to the the sky is orange. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, again, where I don't think Ken Ham is a trustworthy person, before I go, oh yeah, the planet's ten thousand years old. Right, but even if you did go into this interview on his side of the argument. The idea that he can just discount evidence as totally unimportant and that nothing could ever change his mind, you know that that's not a healthy perspective. Yeah. And even if you went in trusting him, a reasonable person would have to come out of that questioning that trust. <laughs> so what's your answer, Preston? Some things you can choose to believe and other things belief is hoisted upon you. Ugh. <laughs> uh. That's tough. It's, it's it's a frustrating subject and it's a frustrating reality. And I think that's why a lot of people are bad neighbors <laughs> because I, they're so incredibly frustrated with why people perceive the world differently than different. they do. I Yes, that paired with lack of just like general knowledge and understanding. 
And typically also a lack of empathy. Yes, because, I mean, it always drives me crazy when people are like, the Muslim God, I'm like, you're a Christian, it's the same God, right? That's right. just a lack of understanding and empathy. Mm-hmm. Even before the, why did they believe that? Well, why do you believe it's the same thing? Right. Well, and unfortunately, so many people say, when you ask them, why do you believe this? Because, because it's true. What evidence do you have for it being true? Yeah. You have testimony and you have experience. And unfortunately, your experience of religious nature, whatever that experience is, is almost always super ambiguous on to what it is justifying. I was going to say, I think testimony in a religious context works almost only in the religious community to reinforce you know what I mean? Um, kind of. Because... It, it exists in the scientific community, too, but it's different. But I know, but in the context of religion, mm-hmm. I think testimony, you know, on, on how to, def, you know, determine if something is a piece of knowledge or not, I think it only works within the community. Pretty much. Because... <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, if... I mean, obviously, you have a testimony, you're Christian, but I that doesn't encourage me to believe. Right. And I think that's where... We run into problems with religion and people understanding each other is because I haven't had the same religious experiences, mm-hmm. and then your testimony doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. As opposed to scientific journals where you'll have some guy who's working on his postdoctoral project or maybe even a professional application of a thing, and he'll say, I did this thing and it worked, and you're not going to have everybody say, yeah, okay. And and then just go about doing it all the time. You're going to have peer review. You're going to have people trying to duplicate it yeah. first before it's done en masse. Yeah, and I even mean like, you know, testimony of is this restaurant good or was dinner good tonight? We're more likely to listen to that testimony mm-hmm. right, from, from anyone. Yep. Whereas, like I said, I think religious testimony really only works within the religious community to reinforce belief. Well, if you have because a Muslim say, I've I've read the Quran and I've gone after an experience and I've actually had an experience with an angel, and he goes to another religious community, like say a Christian church, for example, and the Muslim guy says to his Christian audience, I've had an experience with Jibril who is also a figure that shows up in the Old and New Testaments of the Christian Bible, Christians be like, we don't trust you because of your identity. Or they would turn <laughs> it into, he's a Christian. Or like, right? They'd say, think it was a Christian experience as opposed to a Muslim experience. Right. Which complicates it even more. <laughs> right. um, so I think that's just something... That makes it so much more complicated, <laughs> but to be aware of as well, mm-hmm. right? That just because you have a testimony or perception, it's not shared. Right. right. And that doesn't mean it will change someone's mind. Because mm-hmm. clearly Ken Ham has his perception of the world and his testimony of God, and nothing's changing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> With that point on Ken Ham, I just wanted to throw in this fun fact about... or. Fun fact. I thought it was a really good in, good definition of fundamentalism. And you can be a fundamentalist in any religion. This isn't 
throw in shade. We just see, obviously, Christian fundamentalism a lot in North America. But the definition was that if you believe something in your religious text that is scientifically disproven, then you are a fundamentalist. Sounds pretty solid to me. That's a good way to... For centuries, people talked about God and the angels literally living among the clouds. Like, within our atmosphere, but at least 20,000 feet up. Then we got airplanes. And then we got airplanes, and we noticed we're not wiping angel feathers off of our windshields. But you get that seagull. (laughs) Yeah, but you know it's a seagull. And if you want to question it, you can test it. (laughs) The fact that we haven't run into physical structures in the clouds does defy previous traditions. There's loads of individual things about loads of religions that are disproven on an individual basis. Absolutely. But we haven't found a way to scientifically prove the absence of God, but we have pretty solidly disproven a lot of beliefs about him. Mm-hmm. And we've got an awful lot of people that deny these evidences. I... I was having this conversation with a friend the other day. Um, I've said atheist about a thousand times this episode. <laughs> Take a drink every time. Go play it again. Take a drink every time. But I think you're overestimating how much you said atheist. Oh, okay. Take a shot. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in the Abrahamic God or any of the Hindu gods or Buddha or whatever. If there's anything, it's far bigger and vaster than anything our brains can come up with. And it doesn't care about papers before marriage. and It doesn't care about you eating pork. And it doesn't care about... Um, honestly, I, I doubt it even cares about you murdering another person. Truly. I think it's... If there's anything, it's so big and vast, we can't even comprehend it. That would be mostly, my closest thing to a I, religious statement. I mostly agree with those points. That the idea that you can't have sex before you've signed a piece of paper with another person. That, as far as I can understand it, that's not really the deal <laughs> with any religion. That, And really... Every religion that I've put any real thought into and study, and you guys have witnessed me do it with seven specifically on a rather in-depth basis, God is interested in who you are, and it also stands to reason that if there's any sort of community life after this mortal fleshy life on earth then there's going to be requirements on how to participate in a community and being honest and truthful and not looking to wreck somebody else's house is a part of your character individual actions uh, as we talked about in our Hinduism, Hinduism episode individual actions cosmically have no impact at all but habitual actions affect who you are 
and habitual actions are definitely driven by how you perceive the world and what you believe. And we've talked about the the no true Scotsman fallacy a few times, but that's, I'm going to pick specifically on the Christian faith. You've got an awful, because as a Christian, I get to for sure, (laughs) that there is this huge, very visible collection of people who claim to believe in God and a heaven and a community, and yet it's very obvious by the way they behave that their belief does not translate into their character, which makes you wonder how much they believe and therefore how much do they belong in that community. It's super tricky. And the weird thing about religion and all religions that I've been able to take a look at very much is that gatekeeping is a hundred percent the biggest thing. (laughs) And see, I think whatever, if there is anything, let's call it universal intelligence. I, like I said, I don't even think they care if we're murdering each other. Not that we should. Morals are still a thing, but I go, there's 7 billion people on this planet. And if you go out at night and you look at every single star in the sky, you can't tell me there's not another planet like Earth out there. Oh, I 100% believe that we're not alone in the universe. And let's say there's 7 billion people on those planets. Mm -hmm. Like, at some point, you can't give a shit anymore. Like, truly. (laughs) Um, We become very, very tiny specks in a much bigger picture where, and that's where I just can't fathom that someone cared that I signed a paper before I... Right. And I, I don't believe that, that God cares and if again, you signed a paper. Yeah. In um, fact, even the murder thing. Yeah. It's, I have a tricky relationship with this one. Okay. Because it's it's not a simple thing that to murder somebody as a one-time incident, maybe that doesn't define your character. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't have any influence cosmically. Mm-hmm. But... It probably does. (laughs) Having murdered somebody can change a lot about who you are. And almost always in a negative way. I would say probably more than half the time. It's also the product of a defective character. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not not saying it's good. I'm just saying, like, is that the billions of stars with the trillions of planets with the quadrillions of people it affects um, what kind of communities you'd be welcome into if there is another life to go if into there's another life to go into which is a different episode <laughs> for a different day. i do want to touch on the last point yeah for belief i think it's kind of important go for it the point says, I don't know how to segue it, but <laughs> the point says religion falls along geographical lines. Less. I mean, kind of. I mean, as we globalize, less so. But historically, absolutely. And I think yeah. that's also important to keep in mind just from a don't be a dick perspective of why you think someone might be wrong. 
it's probably because they grew up in a different part of the world with a different tradition. Like Often that's the case. Don't be all high and mighty that you know right just because you were born in a different part of the world. Right. That's my... For a lot of human history, religions were carried from place to place by conquerors. Mm -hmm. And the the real evaluation of whether or not you've properly conquered a people is if you have won their minds and their faith, their religious faith, Mm -hmm. that when tribes would conquer one another, there was... I'm not going to say universally, but really broadly, it's observable that rather than just replacing the local gods with the new gods of the conquerors, which is also frequently seen in reality, there's this pattern for people who are comfortable with polytheism and henotheism, which is pretty common in the old world, that the conquerors would place themselves in a position of it's okay to worship the gods you had before, but know that our gods are superior. Uh, Very often that would take the form of our God is the father of your God. Mm -hmm. We see that a lot. um, The the Greek and Roman gods, this is definitely the reality that happened, that people were allowed to keep their minor gods and they were to be seen as children or sometimes a couple of generations down from Zeus, who was the head of the conquering nation or Jupiter in the Roman sense, but it's slightly different, but similar. And so the geographical lines absolutely reinforced this division of, of faiths, of religious traditions. And that's, Definitely how you see this, these lines showing up. But there's, yeah, with globalization, that's less and less of a problem, but it's more of a people choosing to be in neighborhoods of people who they feel comfortable around, which can have similar effects on your perception of the world. Yeah. Yeah. My base point with this is that don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah, don't be a dick. You go, how can someone believe that? Well, you would believe it too if you were... If you had the same experiences, you were born that's what you would have believed. On the other side of the world, you would probably believe it too. Yeah. And absolutely, I'm, I'm curious to see what the next 50 years looks like for people in religion. Because, I mean, from what I've seen on the internet, we're... Th- I mean, things are mixing vastly. Um, and I think it'll be... It'll fall less along national or or racial lines, but and we've already seen that in oh, action. Absolutely, but, but yeah, it'll get more and more. So yeah, um, but yeah, just uh, if you're ever wondering why someone believes something, ask yourself why you believe something. Yeah, because it's probably the same reasons, just a different belief. Yeah, don't believe in God because a lack of evidence makes perfect sense. You believe but in? for other people, like myself, I've seen sufficient evidence to believe what I believe. Right. And my beliefs have changed over the years. Preston is so interesting. We'll do a whole episode <laughs> on him. Okay. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> yeah. 
Any final thoughts on this big topic? I was like, this will be an easy episode, and I'm tired. It's it's a tricky, mind-heavy topic. We did some mental gymnastics. Eh, a little bit, yeah. 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 <laughs> I did. Maybe, maybe you didn't do any thinking, but I. Oh yeah, I thought I did. critically. <laughs> I sure did. Okay, <laughs> it's. It's heavy, and I would recommend that if you're interested in the in philosophy and enjoyed this episode, you should definitely dive into the worm, no, into the rabbit hole. Wormhole is a completely different thing. Dive into the rabbit hole of epistemology. Even just the reading the Wikipedia article on it is a great start. And I, I th- I've talked about this before, but I think it's really important to be moderate in your beliefs. I don't think extremism is good, but I also don't think it's good to be lazy in your beliefs and not not really understand why you believe what you believe or or have any conviction in it you know examine your beliefs yeah and i think this is a good episode to you know if you're listening to sit back and 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 evaluate what you believe and why you believe it and maybe uh, what some of the people around you believe and if you're comfortable with those people have some of these conversations because i mean like i said my mind has changed I think that's a healthy position. Your mind should change. Yeah. Maybe not on all things. No, but and not for super frequently. Right. <laughs> that sounds oh, dangerous that and sounds problematic. Like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, read some good books and talk to some good people and have that challenged. And I think that's been important for me in my beliefs is I never wanted to be a casual atheist. I never wanted to be someone who was called out for not knowing about religion. And that's how I got into this. I never had to be called out for not knowing about religion and being an atheist. Oh, you're an atheist because you just don't know. No, I know. I promise you, I know. Do you know or have you simply been informed? Oh my God, <laughs> um, And with that, you can follow us. <laughs> this is me wrapping it up. Um, <sighs> Epistemology is hard. I don't even know how to respond to that. There's not one solid answer, which I think is part of the charm of the pithiness of the question. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, you can follow us on... You have nothing else? You're good? No, I think we're good. Follow us on... You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at HolyWatermelonPod. You can email us at HolyWatermelonPod at gmail.com. Or you can join our Discord and the conversation there. Find our links on our social media. (laughs) Since you can't find us through Discord yet. Yet. We need to bring 7,000 friends. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying. Peace be with you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecy.